Hey, everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. On today's podcast, my friend and longtime host of this podcast, Lane Jones, and I are back together for a conversation about harnessing the personal and organizational power of focus. Andy, it's great to be back with you on the podcast and great to be talking about this uh, this subject. I, I really believe the principles we'll talk about today have been they've been foundational for our organization. But before we get to them, I, I remember you talking about a couple of really leadership myths that were actually roadblocks for you to this principle. Yeah, I think this is a good place to start because it took me a long time to discover and then figure out how to harness the personal and organizational power of focus. And I'm not sure exactly why it took me so long. I think part of it was I assumed two things about leadership that just aren't true, or I guess we could call these leadership myths. And I don't think anybody ever told me this. I think somehow I just assumed these. Number one, I just assumed that good leaders are good at everything. Mm -hmm. The good leaders I'd read about or watched, they were so good at what they did Mm -hmm. and everything around them went so well. I think I just began to assume, oh, you you just have to be good at everything. Whatever they ask you, you've got to have an answer. Whatever they ask you to do, you've got to be able to to do it well. They were so together, so well-rounded. Um, And it took me a while to realize that is not true, that, in fact, good leaders are rarely good at many things. They're generally good at one or two things, and they've figured out to the point of our conversation how to focus on those one or two things. And the the second myth is I just assume that good leaders focus on their weaknesses in order to make them strengths, Mm. because why focus on a strength? It's already a strength. So early on in my leadership, that's what I set out to do. I was not a good administrative leader. I was a good in the moment, on stage, vision casting, Mm -hmm. um, presentation leader. I mean, that was so natural and easy for me. I honestly would kind of wing it sometimes. Meanwhile, I wanted to become better as an administrative, (laughs) organizational um, leader. So consequently, I would wing it in my area of strength, and then I would just— you know, work so hard at getting better at something I was never going to be good at, much less great at. So my weaknesses got marginally better while my strength didn't get developed. And so I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years into my career until I finally discovered this massively important principle that my fully exploited strengths are of far greater value to our organization than my marginally improved weaknesses. Because my weaknesses— I think you need to say that part again. Well, that my fully exploited strengths are of far greater value to our organization than my marginally improved weaknesses, because my weaknesses will only be marginally improved no matter how hard I work at them. So once I I got past, number one, I don't have to be great at everything, not even everything I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that. And number two, I need to focus on my strengths strengths because my strengths are the value add to whatever it is that, you know, I decide to do professionally. So that's at least got me in the game of learning to understand the power of focus. And Andy, I I think this realization led you to what I've heard you call the, really the bullseye for organizational leadership. Yeah. And it's unrealistic. I'll acknowledge that. And I've only um, heard of or met one person I feel like Got there, but basically it's to only do what only you can do. In other words, if my fully exploited strengths are the greatest value add to the organization, then the bullseye is to only do what only I can do. And when I say only I can do, I don't mean there are other people who can't do it, but within the context of our organization, this is my biggest value Mm -hmm. add. 
I should focus on adding value where I add the most value, and that's going to be tied to my strength. So it's only do what only you can do. Um, so every time through these 26 years, our organization has restructured, and you have been here for all of that, Lane, and feel free to speak up. Every time we reorg, my administrative assistant would ask me, okay, what do you want to stop doing? Yeah. You know, what, what can we take off your plate that gives you more time, not free time, more time to focus on where you add the most value to the organization? So consequently, you know, 26 years later, I carry more responsibility than ever, but theoretically, I do fewer different things. Well, Andy, as you said, it does sound unrealistic, but I know you believe that there are some seasons where it's not realistic. It's, in fact, it may not even be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Early on, uh, somebody starting their own organization or any kind of startup as the point leader, at times we need to do a little bit of everything or do everything so people will know how we want it done. Right. You know, one, every great organization can answer the question, this is how we do it here. This is how we do it here. Well, somebody has to determine this is how we do it here and then demonstrate this is how we do it here. So early on in our organization, you and I, we did a lot of things. <laughs> we were marginal. <laughs> we did marginally well. Well, until we could hire some people in that could yeah. do it a whole lot better. So, yeah, early on, it is both natural and necessary. It's natural because early on we set the standards, and it's necessary because sometimes there's yeah. nobody else to do it, right? But, and here's what took me too long to figure out, what may initially be natural and necessary in organizational life will ultimately limit our effectiveness as leaders. In other words, if we stay in those seats for too long, mm-hmm. either because we enjoy it, we refuse to hand it off, we micromanage, or we just you know can't find anybody else to do it, stay in those seats too long, it dumbs down the whole organization. The IQ of the organization never reaches maximum potential because, again, we're not focused on the things where we add the most value. Andy, uh, I think this is connected to what I've heard you teach and and call two of the best-kept secrets of leadership. Yeah, the two best-kept secrets of leadership. I don't know if they're actually the two (laughs) best-kept secrets, but for for me, they certainly were. Number one, the less you do, the more you accomplish. That's secret number one because it's not intuitive. And number two, the less you do, the more you empower others to accomplish. So the less I do— the more I accomplish because when we're working in our zone, we just accomplish more. And then the less I do, then I'm going to create space for other people to do what they do best. And the thing is, Lane, um, these aren't really just nice to have. These are so mission critical for any organization because there's actually a price to pay organizationally if we don't get these right. Um, For example, um, when, when an organizational leader or somebody within the organization doesn't understand this principle, number one, their perceived value to the organization is diminished. And the reason their perceived value is diminished is because they're not doing what brings the most value to the organization, right? Mm. Um, There are things that if you ask me to do in this organization, and that was my primary job, my perceived value in this organization (laughs) would diminish substantially because I'm no good at it. The second thing that happens if we don't get this right is the perceived value of other leaders in the organization is diminished because they don't get an opportunity to do what they do best. And third, the ability of the organization to keep great leaders is diminished because people won't stay where they're not able to thrive. And when we're not able to lead or manage or work in an area where we feel like we're thriving personally based on our skill set, we're not happy. Mm. And, you know, if I have an opportunity to go work somewhere where I get to spend most of my time doing what I do best and where I add the most value, I'm gone. That's where I'm headed. So, again, this isn't just an add-on. This really is mission critical for organizations that want to thrive. 
Well, Andy, I've heard you talk about five reasons that we often miss this as leaders, and I'd like to break those down with you. The first one is we buy into, as you said, the well-rounded myth. Yeah, and yeah, we did already talk about that. But as long as a leader thinks they have to be great at everything, they're never going to be great at anything because they'll never be great at the thing that they are born to be um, great at. So the goal is not to become a well-rounded leader. The goal is to build a well-rounded organization or well-rounded department, mm-hmm. not become a well-rounded leader. And what mm-hmm. I've discovered is, and we've talked about this, um, that what is perceived as our organization, some of our organization's greatest strengths in our community are areas that are not my personal strengths. I get credit because, you know, I'm the point leader, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we're known for extraordinary events. And you know, as well as I do, I should never plan an event. (laughs) I should be part of an event, but you don't want me to plan the event. So again, the goal isn't to be a well-rounded leader. The goal is to be a well-rounded organization. So the tip there is play to your strengths, delegate your weaknesses, Mm -hmm. right? We've talked about that. Play to your strengths, delegate your weaknesses. Andy, the second reason you said we often miss this is we don't distinguish between our authority and our core competencies. Yeah, every leader has authority over areas within the organization which they personally have little or possibly no expertise. So I'm responsible for things that I don't know how to do. I'm responsible for things getting done that I don't know how to do personally. And when a leader confuses or won't distinguish between their authority and their core competencies, oftentimes they find themselves making decisions in areas where they don't have expertise Mm. and consequently they undermine the decisions of other people. It affects efficiency. Um, it affects the morale. You know, if at the last minute the boss comes in and starts making changes and everybody's looking at each other like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. She does This isn't right. her thing. But, you know, since I'm responsible and since this, you know, since I'm the authority, you know, I'm going to go exercise my authority. For example, I'm good at content development. I'm not good, as I said earlier, at organizing events or project management. So (laughs) when I exercise my authority in either of those two areas, things get worse, Mm. not better. And I learned this a long time ago. It's been a while. But in an effort to um, be a team player, I've been in meetings where, you know, we're about to plan something and I'm like, hey, I'll do that, thinking I'm helpful. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been in some of these meetings. Everybody Mm -hmm. looks at each other like, that's not helpful. (laughs) If you take responsibility for doing this, this is not going to be helpful. It's just going to take longer. So, Andy, you stay in your lane. Let the people who know how to do it. But again, as a leader, if I confuse my authority with core competencies, things get worse. They don't get better. So the tip here is basically leverage your authority as little as possible, make as few decisions as possible. And as we've talked about before, one of the best things a leader can do is to say to the people he or she works with, you decide. You decide. This is your area. Hey, thanks for bringing it up. Thanks for telling me what the options are. This is your area. Not only is it your area in terms of your responsibility, This is an area where you are far more competent than I am. So I'm going to trust you to decide. If it goes bad, I'll take the blame. If it goes well, I'll give you the credit. But you decide. Wow. And actually, preparing for today helped me so much in a one-on-one I had today because I was sitting there. We're having this conversation with one of my direct reports. He asked me a question to which I had an opinion, Mm -hmm. but I had no expertise. And I, (laughs) I literally stopped and I just said, you decide. I trust, you know, because it is this, it is true. I have an opinion, right. but I do not have expertise. And, you know, th- you bring that something that's so important. If we're not careful, you know, we've seen this happen, and it's never intentional. 
because of who I am in the organization, sometimes when I express an opinion, mm. it's taken as a directive. This right. ha- has happened to the point where I've gotten in the habit of saying, okay, what I'm about to say right now <laughs> is an opinion. This is not a decision. I, I yeah. actually have no, to say that. So people are it. like, okay, okay, this isn't, no, I want to have the freedom to express my opinion as well, right. but this is not a directive. This isn't, well, you know, Andy told us to. So we have to be super careful with that, but it's even better to say, you know what? You decide. You decide. That's great. Andy, the third reason you give us uh, to why we miss this quite often is similar to number two, but it's that we're not aware of what we're good at. Yes. This is a self-awareness issue. And there's generally, and this is, I'm being general, there are generally two reasons that leaders are not aware of their core competencies. Um, Sometimes it's something that we've always done. It's a role we've always filled. And since we've always done this, we assume we're good at it. Since this is the role or the position I've always filled, then I I must be good at it, whether I actually am or not. You know, the classic example of this is anyone who's had to endure someone singing um, who enjoyed singing (laughs) but couldn't sing. They enjoyed it so much, but they weren't good at it. And they didn't know. So don't be that leader. And we all need people around us who are empowered to tell us where we should limit singing to the shower in the car, right? So again, the example I used a few minutes ago, fortunately, we've been doing this so long together. When I reach to take control or take authority or, you know, to get involved in something I don't need to be involved in, I feel like I have people around me that are like, nope, we'll do that. And then we'll let you do your part, but, you know, let us do our part. So you know, lack of self-awareness is, is a problem. So for all the leaders out there, let me take some pressure off. It is okay not to be good at something. It's not okay to keep doing something you're not good at. Mm. It's okay not to be good at things. It's not okay to keep doing the things you're not good at. And admitting a weakness does not diminish our effectiveness. Actually refusing to admit a weakness is what, you know, diminishes our effectiveness. When we acknowledge a weakness, um, it's never new information for the people we work with, right? They (laughs) never grab their pen to write that down. They already know our weaknesses. Nobody's going to be surprised. They're actually relieved when we acknowledge, you know what, this is something I'm not great at. I'll let you do that. I'll let you decide. Andy, the fourth reason that you've said that we miss this often is one that you've said you struggled with the most, and that's we feel guilty delegating things we don't enjoy because we assume nobody else will enjoy it either. Yep. Uh, Diane Grant, my administrative assistant, years ago, gently and, you know, correctly, I guess confronted might be not the best (laughs) word, (laughs) but basically said, you know, Andy, just because you hate doing this doesn't mean everybody hates doing this. Right. So in your effort to be, you know, a good example, you do things that you know, perhaps you should let some other people do because we actually enjoy that. So our joke now is when we're going through the mail and the email and just all the details and the calendar, I say, Diane, I would hate your job. And she says, and Andy, I would hate yours. (laughs) So again, if if I'm not, you know, self-aware enough to realize, hey, just because I don't enjoy it, again, my weakness is somebody else's opportunity, right? And so keeping that in mind keeps us from falling into that trap. Andy, the fifth and final reason that we often miss out on the power of focus is we don't take time to develop other leaders. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is challenging for all of us. I mean, for the, especially in a growing organization, who has time to stop doing what needs to get done to teach somebody to do what you're already doing that 
has to get done. Um, but that becomes a lid. It becomes a lid to us personally because we stay in roles we shouldn't stay in, and it becomes a lid to other people because they don't get the opportunity. So at some point, if we're committed to growth and progress, we have to get up out of those chairs and teach somebody else to sit there. And of course, there's some truth to the adage, if you want something done right, do it yourself. But that, um, again, that becomes a lid to our leadership and to the organization. So the thing to keep in mind here is that, and this is hard for me, that leadership is not primarily about getting things done right. Leadership is really about getting things done right through other people. It's about multiplying our efforts through others, not using others, but empowering other people by positioning them to do what they do best. And it is time consuming. It is ultimately more effective, but in the moment, it is not efficient. There's a quicker way to get to where you need to get. You just do it yourself. But again, ultimately, you limit yourself, you limit the organization. And no one listening to the podcast, because only very intuitive, bright people listen to our podcast, from what I understand. Everybody listening to this podcast already knows that. That's not like, oh my goodness. But asking ourselves the question, what do I need to give up? And am I willing to take the time to train someone up to give this up so that I can do more of what only I can do? That's oftentimes the challenge, especially in seasons of, of, of growth and seasons, again, where there's just so much to do. Who can pause to train somebody else to do it? Well, Andy, as difficult as this is to do sometimes, I've heard you talk about two wins that really make it worth it. Absolutely. On the personal side, when we get this right, we find it easier to establish and maintain a sustainable pace. Um, I know for me, and I think probably for everybody listening, stress is often related to what we're doing, not how much we're doing. I mean, there's some things that we do that we just can't get enough of. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the time flies, you know, it is so replenishing and we're working. So stress is often related to what we're doing, not how much we're doing. And when we work outside of our sweet spot, it is a exhausting. Working in our zone or our flow is energizing. So on a personal level, there's a huge win in terms of getting this right. On the corporate side, we're just going to build better organizations. Um, We're going to build organizations, again, or departments that reflect our strengths, but not our weaknesses. In the end, you'll have a well-rounded, competent, successful organization. Andy, what do you say to those listeners who maybe they really don't have the authority to implement this principle? Well, for those of you who are kind of in the middle, maybe middle management, um, new in an organization, you don't have direct reports, I want to suggest at least one specific application, and that's this. Uh, And this may take a little bit of time, but this is not a waste of your time. In fact, you may discover something new about yourself. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Within the context of your current job or within the broader context of the current company that you work for, develop what you would consider your ideal job description. In other words, if you could do anything Mm -hmm. in your current job or in your current company, again, where you think you would add the most value, just write out your ideal job description and write it out as if you were planning to present it to your boss or maybe even the president of the company, Uh that this unexpected moment comes where somebody says to you, what would you like to do here? Or where do you think you could add the most value to our organization? You know, write it as if you're going to present it. And as you're writing this, begin with this statement or something similar. Begin like this. I could add more value to our company if I could devote more of my time to, and then you go from there. I could add more value to our company if I could devote more of my time to. And once you work through this, again, you're going to gain clarity, and then you'll be prepared 
If the opportunity ever came about that you could answer that question or you had the opportunity to sit down with someone and present your ideas for your position and your value add to the organization. Again, a good manager is going to value that kind of input. I call that appropriate ambition. Well, Andy, thanks again for today's conversation. As we wrap up, any final thoughts? I would just go back to what we said in the beginning, that your fully exploited strengths are of far greater value to your organization than your marginally improved weaknesses. So focus on strengthening your strengths and look for ways to delegating your weaknesses. And then one more thing, Lane, um, just to be clear to all of our podcast listeners, don't try this at home. <laughs> This is for organizational life only. At home, we have to be all things right. to all people. We can't delegate affection and attention, right? For me, emptying the dishwasher is not in my flow. It is not my sweet spot, but I empty it anyway. So this is for organizational life. This is not for home. For home, be all things to all people. Andy, thanks so much for this time with us today. And, and thanks to our audience for listening. Be sure to visit the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of our discussion, questions for reflection, and group discussion. And join us next month on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Leadership Podcast.